Okay, we'll, we'll start here in just a second. Um, I need to mention this now so I don't forget it later. Next, a week from tonight, we'll not be here. I, is, is it, you work for the school district, is it um, early release or is it teacher conferences or yeah, so you're a, what is it? Okay. Anyway, so we're we're not here next Wednesday night. Then, then I think um, between now and um, about May, middle of May, there's one more Wednesday night. I think we have off, um, and then that's it. So, some of them we. Well, most of the time we try to parallel the school district because when they have teacher conference, things like that, we have so many teachers that are workers here, um, they can't be here. <coughs> and then, two, we've just tried to build in um, a couple of breaks uh, for the volunteers because it um, they get kind of worn out. So... <coughs> I think that's all I've got to mention for that affects us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful that we can be here tonight. Thank you for everyone that is here. And we are lifting to you all the activities here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for all the volunteers we have. Thank you for all the good that's done. And Lord, we know that um, often we see little uh, we may not see all that you're doing until later. So we're grateful, Lord, for every worker here. Pray that the truth would get into hearts from the little kids on up, just that we would be blessed for being here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> looking over my list of subjects um, I want to include a couple more things in the whole business of Christians in relationship to their government because I think there's still things we haven't covered. Um, and <clears throat> so we looked at maybe some of the more, more obvious ones, uh, subjects. But... Um, Here's a couple more that I wanted to look at that are related to Christians living under, you know, a government. How do they respond? Um, there's a whole issue of war, conscientious objector, uh, objector tours, or total pacifism. Um, that is, whole denominations are separated um, over those kinds of issues. Some of the, um, some denominations are primarily in existence because of a position on war or pacifism, whatever else. Um, there's, of course, we haven't said too much about any kind of law that um, forbids, restricts um, worship all the way from, you know, worship in the sanctuary to Sometimes there are um, city ordinances that will 
um, ostensibly be aimed at safety and crowdedness and traffic and so forth, but it involves um, restricting the number of cars you can have at your house for a Bible study so they can shut you down that way. Um, those kinds of things uh, we deal with. Um, here's another one that is, um, oh, we don't hear about it too much anymore, but it flares up in localities or states, and that's the whole issue of a Christian's approach to capital punishment. Um, that's another one that wherever I've been living, that uh, whether it was in the state of Oregon, Indiana, wherever, um, there would be, it seemed like they, they'd throw it out and then they'd reinstate it and then they'd throw it out, and you had a lot of religious people lining up, mostly on the side of anti. Um, so what's the Christian biblical position um, on that whole subject? So <clears throat> anyway, um, and I think even under, well, let's say this, under laws, maybe whether it's national, or local, statewide, um, that would, for instance, the whole COVID thing, closing down of churches, the what about um, so-called national emergencies where you are restricted as far as your uh, traveling, you're restricted as far as worship, you're restricted as far as um, communicating with other people, being in a crowded room, being with more than five people, whatever. What are we doing in cases like that? There were a lot of cases where there were, um, you'd have to apply for a religious exemption. And I had a number of people who were up against possible firing um, if they didn't comply with the latest uh, vaccine, the COVID thing, asked me to write letters um, f for them to get a religious exemption. Um, so is that a legitimate biblical um, objection we can make or not? <clears throat> um, are sometimes religious exemptions stretched beyond what um, maybe the Bible would, would say? So um, <clears throat> I don't know where to start on that whole list, but maybe we'll just quickly, um, we'll at least start on my page here. I've got war and pacifism near the top. Tell me what, tell me whether war for a Christian, um, you know, there are verses that Jesus said, you don't take up the sword, don't resist evil. James said, you live with the sword, you're going to die with the sword. Jesus said the same thing. Um, people make a big deal of uh, the, f the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Um, so what is, what is a, to you, a biblical position on the whole business of war, allowing yourself to be sent to war by your government, um, it's rarely, no vote, very, very, very few wars are engaged in by 
totally volunteer army. There's, there's draft, and so the government gets involved, and there's coercion, there's possible arrests, there's all kinds of stuff. So what is a Christian's position there? So before we look at a couple definitions of a just war and so forth, and an unjust war, just off the top for heads, um, war justified for a Christian or not? Pardon me? Okay. I think it can be in certain times, but I could be wrong too. So. That's not possible. Uh, <laughs> I've never been wrong either. You know what I mean? So I don't. That's the only thing I've been wrong on. I don't know what it feels like to be wrong. Um, anyway, what else? <coughs> Okay, maybe, well, any more th thoughts? Then we could help that decision um, by more clearly defining what is a just war? Is there such a thing? What's an unjust war? Um, it's interesting to find some of the established, um, even religious slash uh, secular notions of what's a just and unjust war um, and how is a war to be waged any any other ideas just general thoughts yeah okay okay if you didn't hear that God is not squeamish about war sent his people into battle frequently um, one of the, one of the extremely frequent titles of God is the Lord of Hosts, and that literally is army. He we know has an angel army, um, and he is spoken of frequently uh, regarding Israel as you know the God of the armies, that he's the captain of the host, and that he leads his people out um so um <clears throat> yeah i thought the problem is, is that we definitely see the god of the old testament as being more wrathful and vengeful in the old covenant that type of thing and, you know and then jesus comes along and says if your enemy strikes you on one side of the face you know turn him on the other side also i don't know that that means that if your enemy stabs you with a knife try not to bleed on his shoes <clears throat> Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult situation. You can argue both ways. Yeah, there have been, I think I mentioned, um, <clears throat> did I mention a couple of weeks ago there'd been some, several articles in the paper? Um, I don't know about the local paper, but Wall Street Journal and, and Fox News and different news, because it was. Um, I think it was some anniversary of Alvin York, you know, in World War One and so forth, um, and that he um, was a lifetime, lifelong member 
of the denomination Churches of Christ and Christian Union that we are affiliated with now in Tennessee. Uh, did I mention anything about that? My father knew um, the pastor that was, I think, Alvin York's pastor in his very later life and when he, when he died. And um, <clears throat> I remember my dad just saying that, that whoever this pastor was testi you know, bore testimony that he was a genuine Christian. Um, but while that denomination was not specifically pacifist, um, he had a conviction that he, and he'd been quite a brawler, fighter, troublemaker in his little community, um, and he got soundly converted, and he just felt that he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't fight, and it was a Christian recruiter or somebody that sat down with the Bible and at least convinced him that it was not morally wrong to go to war, especially what was going on then with, uh, this is World War One, but Germany and all that was going on. So anyway, <clears throat> um, and the long story made short, he joined the army and ended up getting the Medal of Honor and, and um, he likened it, you know, he, he apparently really got over being pacifist because he, he took into battle his um, habits as a kid growing up in the Tennessee hills of hunting wild turkey. And he would always shoot at the, if they were in kind of a line, he'd shoot at the last one because the f ones, you know, they never knew that their buddy in the back got, got taken out. If you shot the guy in the front of the line, the rest of them figured it out. Um, and so he honestly, he adopted that. And um, the old Alvin York black and white movie shows um, him picking off Germans from the rear of the line to the front. Um, they, when, when he ended up I can't remember how many, it was several hundred people, soldiers um, surrendered. And they thought they were against, you know, a whole, at least a company or how many ever, and it was him. Um, but at any rate, um, so there have been legitimate people on, on both, you know, both sides of that issue. Now, let me, let me ask you, and we won't uh, take too long waiting, but um, there is such a thing as just war doctrine spoken of. It goes clear back to, um, well, mostly Thomas Aquinas wrote on what is a just war. And down through Christian history, there have been efforts to try to have a doctrine of what is a just war, what is not a just war. And then even if it is a just war, how should that war be conducted according to certain rules that rule out, I mean, you're killing people, but rule out torture, all that. So there are rules even which today, of course, is uh, kind of underneath what we call the Geneva Convention, okay? Um, 
what are a couple of your ideas of what would make a, a legitimate war versus an illegitimate war? Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the world wars are you know, alliances with other countries. Uh, instead of saying the Lord will take care of everything, <coughs> getting into other messes. And, you know, we, we, they, they talk about freedom, but you don't really know what's behind all those wars. And it, I think it's very difficult to know whether, whether there's a legitimate war or not a legitimate war. I know when God says, go and take over the promised land, yeah. You know, but these days I think it's very difficult <coughs> to know the truth. I mean, even World War One and World War Two, all the things that happened, and those things were going on. You know, those wars got going over several years before there were world wars. Yeah. You know, that, all that stuff in uh, World War One started in 1913, and the stuff in World War Two it may have started in 1931, and then went to other things, and then all of a sudden everybody got in the game. But there were, and there's there's other reasons too, the economic reasons. I you know I don't want to I'm not I don't want to speak against anybody that's been to war because you know I think if you're if you're called to, called to war it's still well once again it's very sticky. But I think that um, a lot of people have given their lives and, and put their lives at risk, and I respect that in this country. But still, it's hard to tell where a just war is. <coughs> I think maybe a couple of easy answers. Then it gets murky. Um, Self-defense. Um, I mean, if you're, f for instance, um, and again, we don't know all the details, but as close as, it, as an illegitimate war could be defined is what you have when... Um, a country invades another one um, who has not been provoking them um, and in some cases who may be partially defenseless um, when you have well, Russia going into Ukraine um, I'm not saying that there aren't you know all kinds of weeds in that deal but nevertheless uh, at least when you look at um, the kind of unprovoked attacks or invasions or whatever that in the quote just war doctrine uh, that's in western civilization probably six seven eight hundred years old is you know trying to come up with a thinking here that would be considered justifiable retaliation if you're invaded okay attacked some way um, <clears throat> Some think, in it, well, in this just war doctrine, self-defense, imminent threat, meaning they're masked on, you know, the, the, your neighboring country or some invading country is masked on your borders, and it's very clear that they, you know, that what their intentions are, even if they announce their intentions. Um, then calling everybody up, you know, the draft or whatever, um, is again similar. You're threatened without having deserved it, I guess. Um, <clears throat> a third, a third one is um, 
intervention to protect a somewhat helpless country from a stronger bullying country. It's, it's sort of a national or international Good Samaritan notion, okay? That one can get a little murky because it, it's kind of like, well, it's almost like if you, you, I think Cops is back on TV now, isn't it? Okay. Well, they go out on domestic, you know, domestic things. Well, you know, they, they interview somebody, and it, it, even in the scripture, Proverbs says, every man's, every man's cause seems right until you examine his neighbor. Um, so it means often, you know, you don't get the whole story. Um, there's more to the story. Um, and getting, I just finished, um, a couple days ago, I just finished a book on the underground resistance to Hitler in Germany um, and how a huge amount of it were uh, devout Christians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being uh, one of them. Um, Many, though, were, you know, over the stuff that was going on. Um, but it was, it was interesting how Hitler went into Sudetenland, he went into Czechoslovakia, and England, France, you know, begged and whined and didn't do anything. Um... He, he essentially did exactly the same thing for a third time with Poland. England and France had treaties with Poland triggering their entrance. So they made the choice with exactly the same kind of bullying, invasion tactics with Czechoslovakia and let it go. They were forced, in a sense, if you want to say, into a war once Hitler went into Poland because they'd signed a treaty with him that if you ever, you know, and we have, you know, we have a treaty with, with um, NATO. If NATO, any of the NATO countries um, are invaded, we're obligated to go to war. Um, how wise that is, how much is that, even in a sense, forget the just war thing, is a wise. I mean, do we, we, we entangle ourselves um, in some of those kinds of things. And another thing I think about, um, I don't want to get off too far here, the subject, but the government you sign a treaty with today might, be, might not be the same treaty or same country five years from now. Um, here's, now, here's what I would have done. Okay, um, and I'm thinking of something not unrelated, but once communist China, or once Mao Zedong took over communist China, if I'd have been the British, and, and the prime minister, and unfortunately, you know, I wasn't in charge, I would have told the Chinese to drop dead as far as Hong Kong went. They made a treaty, Britain did, a 99-year lease with the Chiang Kai-shek, you know, that the, the government, not communist. I would take the position that once the communists took over in a violent revolution, 
and a banished religion and all the brutality that came with the communists, I wouldn't honor that piece of paper at all. Let them fight. Let them try to fight us. Britain had been in the case where they, they'd have snuffed them out. Um, so I th that's, a, that's another problem you can have with you know, treaties that entangle you in some situation that may not, um, they may not be the same people. Um, here's another plank in this doctrine. Um, sometimes, and this would be, this can be either an outside country or, or I guess revolution within, but if you're talking about outside countries, um, intervention to rescue citizens of a country from a barbaric ruler. Um, there can be times when it's incumbent on peaceful nations strong enough to rescue people who are at the mercy of a, an Idi Amin um, in Uganda how many ever years ago. Um, again, lots of gray in some of those, but to, to um, intervene to rescue uh, people from some tyrant. Um, <clears throat> here's uh, another, there, here's the last three. That the leaders undertaking and leading in the war are reasonable and competent. Now, <laughs> that's one of the laws um, that is in the doctrine of a just war, that the leaders um, leading you in as a country or you know, negotiating on our behalf or whatever else are reasonable and competent. Now, that one is, um, anyway. Um, next. All efforts for peace have been exhausted. If it's legitimately believed we did everything we could to negotiate, to, to bargain even, to put up with stuff, to try to evade the outbreak of war with all of the wreckage and the carnage that it brings, um, can we say we did the best we could um, and didn't just rush into um, some fight that we we may not, could have avoided. Last one is, um, is there a reasonable, and this one is more if you are the attacked country or the country that is being threatened, is there reasonable hope of success in the war? Now that's aimed at don't commit national suicide. Sometimes even Jesus said, if you've got 10,000 soldiers and a guy's coming with 20,000, you send an embassy, you know, ambassadors, and you make peace because it's, it would be national suicide to take them on and for sake of, say, honor or whatever else, you lose thousands and thousands of people, maybe lose your nation, period. So um, it's kind of don't let merely honor... Um, and save and face plunge you into something that would be disastrous, okay? Now, um, 
rules for conduct of war. And I'll just give you these real quick so we won't be here forever. But um, the force that is used should be proportional to the cause that the war is trying to save. So in other words, a scorched earth policy that costs more than whatever the cause was that you were trying to um, push, it may be wiser to try to make peace than to have, than to have a war, okay? Um, military personnel are to be distinguished from non-combatants. Um, I don't know how many times, but here's another thing that in, in reading on all this, this all assumes organized armies in uniform under hierarchy of officers, a type of war that is not even considered and never even thought of by Thomas Aquinas and those down through the centuries that have contributed to this doctrine of a just war is the terror, terror you know, ISIS or whoever. Um, you're, you're not dealing, they don't wear uniforms, they don't uh, identify themselves, they are, they're sneaky, they're, you know, no rules apply here. Um, they don't abide by any of these rules. They never distinguish between military and civilian, believing that civilian casualties are more valuable to them and their cause than a military would be. So they don't even bother with the distinction. Yeah. Well, honestly, if you're reading about all that, they went through those kinds of calculations, and in the background, the, um, the idea of the just war is everywhere, especially Western Christian nations understand that. And so, to some degree, um, the reasonings, the debates, and so forth, the calculations um, that this kind of just war doctrine calls for was, was um, brought to bear in that. We will, the estimate that I've read, and I, you know, it's maybe off a bit, but the estimate is that we could have lost a million men invading the Japanese homeland. Um, and, it, you know, I don't know what was it, at least 150 in Hiroshima, and I don't remember what, but yeah. Well, um, you know, the guys that developed those bombs in, in uh, New Mexico said, why did they, you know, they didn't even think they were going to drop the bomb. But then they said, why mm -hmm. did they drop two? You know, why did they drop the second one? The first one was horrible. So, you know, you, you have to wonder Military industrial, yeah. Yeah, the, the <coughs> military industrial complex take a hold. Well, it has. In every country, that's the way it is. You know, that's part of their power. And JFK gave a speech to the UN about not having 
He didn't want any country to have enough weapons to attack another country. That was his UN speech. He said, we should just have enough to defend our own country. He didn't live very long after that, about six months. So there's things behind this stuff we don't understand, but we know that ever since Eve ate the apple, there's been more than mm-hmm. wars. You know, you have to think about, is there, is there, how many just wars are there? Getting back to that. Yeah. I think um, somewhere in all this, I was reading um, a pro-war, or why Christians should be reasonably submissive to the government, and if there's a call-up for a war and so forth. Um, and the, the statement was that the leaders probably know more than we do. Okay? Here's the problem, though. In all these kinds of things, you're assuming the best. I wish we could, but in a fallen world, um, now I'm not some kind of a uh, expert, but I uh, on World War II in the Pacific, um, especially. But um, you know, there there were there, we weren't caught off. I don't believe. I don't think we were caught as off guard at Pearl Harbor as everybody pretended they were. But it, was, it, fit, into, it, it fit into the strategy to be, man alive, what in the world? Um, because there was a, um, you know, a drive to get us into the war and isolation was a big deal and so um, that needed to be overcome. Um, so anyway, you have, you have that kind of stuff that you probably can't really know. So then you get down to just, I'm a simple one citizen. I'm a Christian in this country that's at least ostensibly Christian. What, what's my response? You know, what, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, best we can do somebody else does it for us. Yeah. You know, vote somebody. That's a, that we really don't have any choice about those matters. And as things go, at least we're not crucifying people in public to mock them. You know, I mean, the, the wars they went through back then was just because I just like your land and I want to. Yeah. It. You know, <clears> it's not, we, we can have this conversation at all. It shows how far Christianity has made an impact on our culture. And that having been said, you know, all we can do, you know, we're the Good Samaritan. We're on our way to work. And there's a guy in our path, and we decide whether we're going to go around him or whether we're going to help him. That's, those are our decisions. You know, I mean, we can, we can have a war and think, oh, I hate this war, or I don't like this war. But at the end of the day, it's still God's world. He's still in control. And he's going to, uh, things are going to happen that, you know, are beyond our, nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So all, all we can do is decide what we're going to do with that, with back to the ethics again. You know, and it, it is in your power to do something. Well, then, then, then you have to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't hear that, a question to ask would be, is what I'm preparing to do going to um, advance the kingdom of God? It could advance it in, in the sense of curtailing evil. You know what I mean? Um, I think that if you have, um, 
Well, if you have what's, what was going on in World War II in Germany, I don't know how, if you had a reasonable amount of information on what was going on with the, you know, the gassing of the Jews and all that, I don't know how you could sit still and not do something. Um, I think you just, I, I think you'd have to. Um, and there are, I believe, those kinds of wars. You, I think you see it. Um, there's wars of, of not only retaliation, but there are wars of what? Judgment from God that are in Scripture towards the, the inhabitants of, of um, Canaan, for instance. It wasn't only the promise that he would give that land to Israel um, 400 years before he brought it about, but also, um, well, Winston Churchill, who was probably not my idea of a thoroughgoing Christian, um, um, <clears throat> but nevertheless, he read his Bible every day. And he claimed in his diary that the Lord spoke to him from Deuteronomy, where it says really clearly, it says, I'm going to help you. Israel, Moses prophesying. I'm going to help you not for your righteousness, but for the wickedness of the people you're going against. It's not because you're good, but these guys are so bad, I'm using you to punish and deal with them. Um, I think in those kinds of cases, um, that's a just war. You know, but I, I will tell you right now, um, once again, it's hard to have all the answers. I know I pastored with, um, I pastored with a, a guy that was almost a generation older than I was. He was a good friend of my dad's, but a little bit younger. And so I pastored five, six miles from him for I don't know how many years out in Portland. And we'd get together and pray and, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and then his son, um, I went to seminary with his son. His son got a Ph.D. in church history and taught till a year or two ago. Um, but Dave, was, Dave Weinert was um, the older guy. He had a brother named Franklin, uh, Franklin Weinert. Kansas wheat farm boys and godly, godly young, you know, 19 or 20 year old going into the ministry. I mean, he, he felt called as clear as a bell. Um, died on one of the islands in the, the Pacific um, in the Marines and, you know, a beach landing and, and I don't remember which particular island. But, um, and he's, you know, he was buried over there. I think some of the family later in the years, um, some managed to, to visit his gravesite in an American cemetery where it was Guadalcanal or somewhere. Um, you know, I don't understand that. Um, God called him. And he he was in the midst of preparing, and then he gets drafted. Um, I don't know. Um, 
I don't understand a lot of those things. And here's one of the things. I was reading Tozer the other day. He talked about we have to we have to limit our. I'm paraphrasing a bit. We have to limit our inquisitiveness to a certain degree. We want, we have the idea that we must understand everybody, everything. We can explain everything um, to the best of our ability. Science and everything else is, is kind of puffed us up to where we think, well, we gotta understand this, we gotta know this. He says there's a few things about God we can halfway figure out if God wants us to. <laughs> He'll tell us. He'll tell us in his word or whatever. But he said there's a massive unknown amount of unknown about God, and it's always gonna be that way. We don't, we're not going to find out why did God do this or do He's He is infinite. He couldn't, even if he wanted to, he couldn't get us, who are finite, to be able to grasp all that he is doing. So there's plenty of things that we just can't understand. I do think it does come down to a certain degree, and this is a slippery slope. Um, not that scripture and so it doesn't have rules that apply to us all, and it does. But a lot of things are what, assuming an honest, diligently seeking heart, what is the Holy Spirit telling me to do? And sometimes that's, the, that's all the further I can go. Um, <clears throat> now, let's see what are a couple more things and then yeah. As you were started talking about um, to be in a uniform if you're in a war. Yeah. But in World War II, the underground, yeah. like France and Poland and Norway, they didn't have a uniform on. Yeah. They were legitimately fighting in that war. And possibly that we still would have won, but it could have taken us two years more, you know, or who knows. Yeah, they, they played an integral part. Um, and here's another thing, like that, war is, um, war is shot clear through with, with uh, deceit, if you want to call it deceit. It's misinformation, intentional. It's dressing up, even, even, now one thing you're not supposed to do is dress up in the enemy's uniform. They'll do it, but the point is, it's still in the Geneva Convention that you're not supposed to do that because you're breaking the rules of slaughter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, um, the whole counterintelligence and underground, um, that was one of the things that in this book I just finished, a lot of the Christians had personal, you know, battles back and forth, what to do here. And Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, started out believing it's not right to take a life. But as he discovered more and more of what was going on, he came to the place where he believed that it was a righteous cause to put a stop to what was going on. Um, and so he became part of several efforts to assassinate Hitler. They started out thinking they were going to try to get enough generals that they would arrest him. They wouldn't assassinate him. They'd arrest him and they would hold a trial or, you know, and kind of depose him. But they realized that it, that wasn't going to work. And so, um, and I don't have any question that Bonhoeffer was a man of God. And, but he came to the place, he said, there's nothing we can do but end his life because he's, 
He's got too much of a hold on everything. And of course, uh, three or four, at least three or four, attempted assassinations were bungled, never. And then he, in pure vindictiveness, I think it was 13 days, 14 days before the end of World War II that Bonhoeffer and a bunch of guys that were with him were hanged. They knew they were, the war was over. There was no reason, you know, but anyway. Um, so, <clears throat> supposedly, um, you're supposed to care for prisoners, um, you know, feed them at least, whatever. Torture's forbidden. Um, looting, rape, and so forth, pillaging of civilians is forbidden. That, and so people never did that. Um, and then just atrocities in general are never um, excusable by the um, testimony, I was only following orders. Um, you're not, you don't escape punishment, trial, execution even, for atrocities against people um, by saying, I, you know, I, I, my general or whoever ordered me to do it, okay? Now, those are the rules of what qualifies as a just war and how it's supposed to be waged. Um, again, I, I think this, if you look at the pacifism thing, um, huge number of people that that were, had pacifistic convictions um, would still volunteer in some support role. And I know that some felt, well, that you're helping, so you're just as bad. But they didn't take up arms. They wanted to refrain from uh, killing anybody. So they would be medics or they would be, you know, even clerks, you know what I mean? Or they'd work somehow in the whole effort, but they'd be in an office or whatever. Um, maybe they're playing a you know, tuba in the army band, but they didn't take up arms. And there was, our country at least, and most of the Western countries, Western Christian countries, make allowance for people who have their conscientious objectors. And so they are allowed to serve in other ways that don't involve taking up arms, okay? Um, any, any, any more comments, thoughts before we go to another government-related thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think something else too. Um, no place did Jesus, and especially John the Baptist, because there's recorded conversations with Roman soldiers and John the Baptist. They came to him and they said, what should we do? He never told them, get out of the army. He never said that. He never said, you can't fight. You know, resign or whatever. Um, he just said, don't be bullying people and taking their money. That's, I mean, they were basically, they, uh, what, their moonlighting wasn't getting a second job. It was just extorting money from merchants and things like that. They were armed and, and nobody else was. And so um, that was another reason. Of course, Romans were just despised by the Israelites um, during Jesus' day. But never once did they, he say, war's not just. John the Baptist didn't say it to him. Um, he just said, be content with your wages. 
Um, so, I, I again, I think too that you have there's such massive, overwhelming amount of evidence in the Old Testament of God even using strategies. I, I remember reading in the '67 Jewish War, um, they what was that general? One-eyed general? Anybody? Um, what was? I can't remember his name. Um, but anyway, he had the patch over his eye. But in an in an interview, he he said he used strategies with the Egyptians and so forth in that war that came out of the book of Joshua. He, he said, you know, that's what some of the things, and, and in the Israeli war college, they'll even study some of that. It's interesting. And God gave them often, he gave them their strategy. I just happened to read it the other day. David went out against the Philistines and you know, he said, Lord, should I go out against them? Will you deliver them into my hand? God said, yeah, go head on into them. And they come out again later, they win the battle, they come out again, and David says the same thing. Should we, should we you're gonna help us? Should we, what should we do? And God said, absolutely, but he said, this time don't go head on, circle around, and, and he says, wait until you hear what sounds like marching in the tops of the balsam trees and know that the Lord's gone out against you or against them ahead of you and you then you go. Um, so anyway, um, I don't have any problem with the, con with the there, there are wars that are right, just, needed. Um, it's just that sometimes it's difficult to nail that down clearly and concisely. Okay, um, let's move to um, maybe another issue that, that is divisive among Christians, at least. Um, capital punishment. Now, you know, the Pope, he's come out against it. Um, what did I read? I don't know how many of you people read the Babylon Bee, which is this Christian satire site. Um, there just recently, uh, you know, Pope Benedict died, and Pope, what's his name, Francis had the funeral, and one of their headlines was, <laughs> Pope Francis presides at the funeral of the last Catholic bishop or last Catholic pope. Um, <clears throat> but anyway. Um, Capital punishment. What's our thoughts on that? Again, same. There, there are Christians that really feel it's wrong, and and um, others that don't. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we really know? Uh, I know people are, you know, he did this, we're going to, you know, let's do it to him. Uh, I believe in capital punishment, you know, how could he do that? You know, but yet, we don't know how God's going to change him. That's always a possibility, so I think it's, I think it's a very difficult issue. Anybody else? 
egregious that, that you forfeit your life. It doesn't mean that you can't be saved in the process between your, your trial and your ultimate punishment. But, you know, I, I think there's crimes that are so egregious against your fellow man that the, the only recourse is to end your life. <coughs> um, if you can't hear that there's some crimes egregious enough that call for forfeiting your life. Um, obviously, if this is, it, we're, we're doing our best to study Christian ethics, which assumes scripture. What, what does God consider, what, what does God say about it? Let me, let me just, um, we don't have a ton of time, but let me say one thing, um, and I'm being somewhat f um, facetious here. Um, we want to make sure that none of us are Manichaeans. Okay? And I think I'm correct that the Manichaeans believed that there were two gods, two, two um, what would you say, presentations, portrayals of God, but, the, but actually that there were two different gods, God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament was God of vengeance, harsh, um, slew people by the zillions, including the flood, and that a, a different tempered God was Christ. Um, that was an early... Uh, Christian heresy, it was rightly branded as a heresy. Um, Jesus was as alive and involved um, in the Old Testament as he was in the New. Um, God said, I, I am the Lord, I change not. Um, his methods, his plan of salvation the um, you know progressive revelation um, meant that there were certain things he allowed in the Old Testament that then were fulfilled in Christ and so forth. Um, but the I would say this: God, um, and he never spoke that I can recall. He never spoke. Um, retracted anything when Noah got off the ark remember before the ark before the flood it said that the whole world was filled with violence which I'm assuming is you know murder and so forth and God said there's nothing to do but drown the entire lot uh, when you think about uh, there had to have been several nobody knows for sure but there had to be in the millions of people that's a pretty big death penalty. He did it. Then, when Noah got off the ark, he told him, your diet's going to change. You're going to have meat now. 
Um, but he also said, um, whoever sheds man's blood, his blood shall be shed by man. Meaning that some form, and then it was tribal, but that some form of cohesive unit of society would agree to execute somebody on behalf of the culture of the society who took somebody else's life. And here was his argument. I think one thing that's interesting about this God establishing the death penalty <clears throat> was he did not do it. He never says it would be a deterrent. The argument today is we shouldn't have it as not a deterrent. God didn't care. I mean, he wasn't concerned with that. So what? Here's his argument. And, and I think that, well, this is God's argument. That's all we can say. He said, if you shed man's blood, by man his blood should be shed. Anybody know why? Anybody remember the specific reason God said that that merited um, the death penalty? Anybody, anybody recall that? Absolutely. He said, because he's made in the image and likeness of God. That was egregious enough. You take, because that's a spiritual pattern of God. He said, you, you take that life, you'll forfeit yours. So he didn't address deterrence. He didn't, he technically, he didn't, I want to be careful here, but he didn't necessarily address justice in the community as much as his justice, which obviously our laws are founded on that. But um, I made that man in my image and likeness, breathed into every one of them the breath of life. You take his life, that is so profound that you're going to, by, by other men, forfeit yours. Now, have there been abuses, obviously, in um, reading on death penalty? Um, John Wesley ministered weekly. He would pray with convicts in a wagon on their way to the gallows. Did it, every, every, it was going on constantly. There were, in Wesley's day in England, 100 and 40 infractions that um, were capital offenses. The, the, it was the death penalty. 140 different laws. Penalty was death. Down to even petty stealing and so forth. Well, Wesley and the Methodists had a huge part in reforming that kind of stuff to where you know it was greatly reduced some people believe and it's not unreasonable i i don't think um that you know outright murder and i mean premeditated we're not talking about even reckless you know manslaughter or whatever um so much as true murder for taking a human life, 
for treason. Um, a lot of people that are reading on all this, um, if you're gonna have a treason against, you know, to sell the country out, whatever, um, jeopardize it. I don't know where the line should be on those kind of things. The only thing God, uh, well, he did, he, he expanded the death penalty later, um, even for adultery and several other things, they were to be stoned to death. Um, <clears throat> there's one thing, there's one phrase that goes through a lot of the Leviticus um, and um, you know a lot of the laying out of the law. Um, there's a phrase that appears a lot in laying out the laws of what you do in this particular case, what's a death penalty, what's whatever, what's lashes, what's fining. And he would always say, thine eye shall not pity them. In other words, don't let a false sense of compassion cause you to um, relent. I said, if he steals one sheep, he pays you back four. Don't get, don't get weak in the knees about it. Don't pity them. It's four, not three. Um, so in that frequent thing, I think God is trying to strike a balance there with us or teach us a balance that there is the upholding of justice that we have to do. Don't go too far either way uh, to just, you know, promiscuous e executions to going weak in the knees and letting everybody off the hook. Okay, um, we got, we'll never get this solved, but, but yeah. Yeah. God might be taking care of it right then, putting anything in their mind. He can change anybody's mind and, and tell them, you know, you got to do this. So, and maybe um, going through uh, a court case or going to prison, they go on death row. He's he's got a lot of issues that he's taking care of there. I think he's always in control. And he never. One thing we know too. Um, <clears throat> he. Well, I shouldn't say never, because there are the few cases of reprobates. But the longer I go, the less I think I've ever seen a true reprobate who had no conscience, couldn't care less, hated God, didn't, you know. God just never, ever quits. He just talks, talks, talks. He, he just doesn't quit. Um, so, anyway. Um, Let's look at the, the first thing I mentioned, maybe is the last thing we gotta get out of here. What do we do with all of the edicts that come from government? They can be everything from evacuations, um, they can be health laws, um, you know, like the COVID business requirements for vaccines. Um, 
as Christians, what's, how, may, how can I put, what is religious opposition and maybe what is possibly um, stretching that too far? Yeah. I think we're likely to even have a choice. Pardon me? Yeah. You know, and so uh, we can we can we can have a conversation, obviously, and you know, oppose where we can and decide what's religious and what's not. But you know, sometimes you just got to do what they say because that's what you do. You know, you were born a slave in those days. He said, "Be the best slave you can be." Yeah. You, know, you, just, you just take your lot and whatever that is, you do the best you can with that lot. Um. Here's a thought. There was a period of time, and I can't remember, it was in the 70s probably, maybe the 80s. Uh, I was, you know, pastoring by then. And I don't know what the deal was, but the IRS or Social Security came out with a, a window of a couple years that clergy could opt out of Social Security for religious or conscience reasons, okay? Now, I can think, I could get my conscience real quick, convinced not to have to fool with paying into Social Security. And I knew people that took that, and they filled out a form and said, I have religious convictions against paying it. Um, there are groups like the Amish, for instance. The Amish believe that insurance is not faith. You are, you're buying a policy that will bail you out. Just trust God. Um, so there were some that, that, you know, had those kind of convictions. But I knew some ministers that opted out of Social Security for religious reasons. Now, you know, I don't know how they came up with that because I, I don't see what, um, how that is a moral issue, okay? Love to get out of it, but I don't see how that's moral. And you can say, it goes against my conscience to pay Social Security. It goes against my conscience to pay taxes if I could get out of it. I think the IRS is immoral. But anyway, um, then back in about the 2000s, um, there was another window that the IRS or Social Security gave to let preachers, clergy again was the only ones, but let clergy who were regretting their earlier decision <laughs> by, by, you know, it was against the law of God in the 80s, in the 2000s, um, if God changed, <laughs> you could get back in. But you had to pay the full amount that you would have paid in those intervening years. And I knew clergy who did that. You know, they opted back in and took, and that was a very narrow deal, and after deadline couldn't do any more. Um, I think that we, we can, um, we just have to be careful what's religious and what isn't. You know what I mean? And we can use, um, I don't know if Peter was exactly talking about this, but don't use, he said, don't use your liberty in Christ as a cloak, uh, a cloak of a cover for um, rebellious attitude. Um, so some of those things, I wonder, I wonder in some cases, and I was just really glad we lived in Wyoming during the whole COVID deal, the vaccine deal, all that kind of junk. Um, 
I don't have any question that there were some cases in the country where the closing down of churches was totally vindictive by God-haters, governors and people. I, I don't question it. That's the only reason they did it. Um, in some other cases, I'm not sure that that was their motive. And I look back at, um, well, you know, this comes to my mind. God had a whole bunch of laws about sicknesses with the Israelites. He said, you got scabs on you, you go out of the camp. Um, you running sores, you're out. <laughs> um, I mean, there wasn't any question about that. And he made them wear, you know what? <laughs> I'll really get in trouble here. It just occurred to me. It says they had to wear a covering over their mouth. That's a mask. And they had to go, if they went in the marketplace, they had to have a bell or they would have hinged pieces of wood or something that they would clap together and they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. The crowd would get out of the way while they went and bought a watermelon or whatever. Um, and so they had all kinds of, of you know, health laws. Um, this isn't a trick question, but let me ask you quickly. Um, I went and I remember lining up and eating the sugar cube when the polio vaccine came out. And um, I remember growing, as a little tiny kid, I remember seeing little kids' heads sticking out of iron lungs. You know, and I'm thinking, what in the world? Um, then I remember getting, going to get shots and you get that TB scar that everybody had back then on their upper arm. You couldn't go to school if you didn't have that. I never even thought about it when our kids went to register for public school. Let me see your vaccine record. Nobody worried about it. Um, then, then we hit the COVID deal. Why, and, and again, this isn't a trick question, I just, why did this trigger such reaction when Required vaccines for diphtheria and whooping cough and German measles and smallpox never bother anybody. Now, I think there's some answers, but I'm just trying to, I'm being provocative here with a minute to go. Yeah. All those vaccines took 10 to 15 years to develop. Yes. Okay. Really? Yeah. And, and so then later, yeah. you know, the FDA said, no, we're not going to unwrap all those side effects in those trials for 65 years. And of course, there were carcrate core cases that say, hey, there were a lot of side effects and still are. But they already had everything in place that the FDA did not have to report any side effects. We could just pass for emergency. So I think plus, plus, you know, I, 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 I'm not an immunologist, but all the vaccines were to, you know, provoke a natural response of our immune system that God built, um, and you know, to, so there's immunity to that particular 
whatever. This rewired your whole, or was at least said, it, it rewired, didn't it not? I mean, it, it wasn't just leaving your natural intact. It was a rewiring of everything. Um, and I think a second thing might be, which, which still comes into ethics. There's a, been a, a complete, maybe not complete, but nearly, complete decay in confidence in our government institutions. And I don't think it, I think it is justified. I mean, they've lied to us enough. They're crooks to the core that I'm not saying that in the 50s, everybody in government were saved and sanctified, okay? But nobody thought there's something in this sugar cube, polio, it's, it was a godsend. Jonas Salk, I still remember learning about, you know. Um, but today, I'm telling you, if they tell me that Jesus is God, I'm gonna go check it out with somebody else. I don't trust anything they tell you. So I think that's also part of, it figures into ethical decisions, um, whether I can have confidence that this is even what they say it is. Um, and of course, you know, it was gonna, I just read very recently that more people now who are getting COVID and dying from it are vaccinated. So it's less people are dying who didn't have it. So, um, that's another ethical thing that Christians face in cooperating, I guess you'd say, with, you know, with, our, with our government, whether they're, I can trust them or not. Okay, we didn't solve much of anything, but we, one thing we gotta get out of here, so. <clears throat> okay, um, not here next week, and then we'll be back, whatever that is, the next, what would that be, 15 or? 15th, okay. Father in heaven, dismiss us, I pray, with your, your grace. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, I love this group of people. We have good discussions and good thinkers, and we want to do um, everything we can possibly do to please you and walk with you. Thank you for all the activities here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I don't know what we'll do next Wednesday because we're pretty well done with government subjects. But anyway, somebody needs to come up with a real hard case uh, for that we we don't have to pay any taxes to the IRS. If we can figure out a way to do that, that'll be good. <clears throat>